Blog Talk Radio. Father, 
We praise your name and we thank you. Father, I thank you so much for the bringing me through. Last couple of weeks have been very difficult, as you know, and I just praise you for that, Father, because um, you've revealed things to me. And I didn't, I, I kind of sort of knew about it, and I have talked about it before. But I just wanted to thank you personally, in front of everybody, for helping me to understand even better than I did before. And I I, I must admit, I, I failed the test. Um, and I do continue to fail the test. Um, and I don't know that, uh, I, I don't know what to say about it, um, but I will say that I'm going to share before we move deeper into the prayer vigil with what you shared with me. And I praise your holy name and I thank you, Father. I thank you, Jesus, for helping us to understand these things because otherwise we would be befuddled, dismayed, and completely, we, in some cases, maybe even feel a little bit um, deserted. And um, I just want to praise you and thank you for helping me to understand a little bit better, just a little bit better, um, what it is many of us are going through and why. And um, I think that's just a beautiful thing. I think it's a beautiful thing because when we understand what and why we're going through the things that we're going through, it makes it, it doesn't necessarily make it a whole lot easier to deal with except that it gives us a path to follow. It helps us to understand that we are put in a place for a reason. There is an expectation of our behavior that is very godly and documented quite uh, vividly in the scripture. If we have the sensitivities and the spiritual acuity to be able to, to, to understand it and to see it and to live it, to actually become a part of your word in the stories that are told. Maybe we're not experts in every single story, that's okay. But when we need to understand something about our own behavior, when we need to understand something about the things that we're going through in our lives, when we have a better understanding of why why those things may be occurring, um, it just helps so much. And I just wanted to thank you for what I feel in my heart that you revealed to me. And I pray, Father, that you will anoint me, Father, that, any, that anything that I feel to say, anything that I miss understood will melt away into a deep blue sea and a crystal clear deep blue sea like we don't have today hardly at all anymore except for maybe a few places um of your of your forgetfulness father god place that spirit of forgetfulness and then melt away anything that is that is not of you and allow us to enter into worship and praise and just gush with adoration over you and our Lord Jesus and days that are so dark that it's very, very hard sometimes to pluck ourselves out of the weeds and to be able to immerse ourselves into your presence. And we thank you, Father, because the days are that dark and it is very easy to lose sight and to wonder, become easily dismayed, uh, Joshua 1.9, um, about the things that we're going through. And I just want to praise your holy name and thank you, Father God, for what I feel that you've revealed to me. And I pray that you will anoint the words that come through my lips uh, in accordance with the presence of your Holy Spirit in such a manner that maybe um, my understanding as it stands now, which is a subject to change at any time, uh, might help others to be blessed as well and might help others to be able to navigate the difficulties that are associated with being alive these days. Because it is not easy. 
And we give you all the praise and glory and honor and thank you, Father. And and we just give you oh, thank you so, so much. Praise you, Jesus. All right. So before we dig in on the prayer vigil, I'm not, I'm, this is not intended to be a big, long teaching. Okay, so the time now is approximately 7.08 p.m. So we're eight minutes into the prayer vigil at this point. And I just wanted to share this with the listeners because it's something that I'm going through. And I've had some conversations with, you know, I, I, I feel it would be inappropriate for me to just, you know, just start listing names of people that I have been having, you know, communications with. But there's a good number of them. It's not like 50, 60 or anything like that. It's just a handful of people that I've known for a long, pretty long time, pretty really long time, uh, in some cases many years. Um, and I'm discovering now, – now, please don't feel left out or don't feel I, – I don't intend for this testimony and sharing to be anything but an encouragement. And, oh, by the way, if you feel like you're being left out because maybe you're not going through these things at this time, please stand by. There's a high level of likelihood that you will. So that will make this an extra special blessing because should these things kind of start happening to you, you'll be ready and understand why they're happening, and you will be blessed as they're occurring. Um, it is a mystery of the Bible. It is a mystery that's been revealed to me. It is um, something that um, I think uh, I think that it's possible. I'm not going to say it's definite, but I, I think that it's possible that um, many of us are going to go through it, and many of us may already be going through it. All right, so we just give you all the glory, Lord, and praise you for 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 helping us to understand a little bit better, um, just maybe a little bit better, um, why the things are happening the way that they are, two different ones of us, and um, and and see the glory in it, see the goodness of it, understand when your scripture says, count it all a blessing and a joy, when you're experiencing these various fiery trials that are to try you as if something, you know, don't be dismayed, don't be blown away, you know, as, as if something weird or creepy has happened to you, but count it all a joy. How is it we're supposed to count it all the joy when the things that we're experiencing are just absolutely awful? I mean, they're just awful. Um, and, it, it, you know, it, and you might just say, well, you know, that's just one of those biblical paradoxes, you yeah, know. So we have to live with it. And we got to paste a fakey, wakey, Jesus, smiley face on ourselves. I don't believe in that. Now, I know people who do that, and they do it very well. Um, and they may even have themselves convinced that they are in a state of joy, even though they're dealing with really very, very difficult things. And that's okay. I, you know, however a believer wishes or is led to arrive at these conclusions is a blessing. Okay, so if they have just been through, if, if I can mention, you know, I'll mention my sister Marilyn, my sister Marilyn. She's been through a lot of really, really awful things. 
Her daughter died from COVID because of the evil that, uh, you know, she didn't have to die from COVID. She was murdered. So my niece, Mary Lynn, was murdered by these entities, these evil, satanic, filthy, stinking entities that all have a special place in hellfire. Okay, and I'm going to be standing on the side of the lake of fire and watching them be, being cast in there, uh, you know, if, if that be the case, uh, you know, if the Lord allows. And maybe maybe I won't want to by then. Maybe I'll just want to hang out in the new Jerusalem and be full of glory and light and, and just, you know, forget about all that stuff. Praise God. But, um, you know, my sister went through all that. Um, you know, now she understands that her daughter was murdered. She knows it. And she's handling extremely well. Guess what? Her husband, his name is John. He's now in heaven. Um, he died of prostate cancer. Well, my sister Marilyn happens to know now that those are parasites and that he could have been cured by fenbendazole. So, and she's handling it all very, very well. You know, I haven't heard her say one thing like, you know, frustration or anger or how could that happen? And uh, boy, this is just unfair and shake her fist at the Lord or any of that kind of stuff. She's handling it extremely in a godly way. There's never been a fit of anger. There's never been, I've got to get those entities back. There's never been any of that. She's actually handled it very, very well. And, um, you know, I'm not going to say that I agree with all of the positions that she holds in regard to her walk in Christianity, because I don't think that I agree with anybody. There are some that I agree with more than others, but I don't think that any two Christians can get together and say, hey, brother and sister, I agree with you about every single scripture in the entire Bible. I agree with you about every translation. I agree with you about the meaning of every Bible story. I agree with you about all the parables. Um, I just don't my personal belief, for what it's worth, and it could be wrong, I mean, 1 Corinthians 8, 2, if anyone thinks they know anything, they know nothing yet, as they ought to know. Um, so I always stand to be corrected. And Lord knows, praise you Jesus, that I have been corrected probably more than anybody I know. I don't know anybody that's been corrected as, corrected as many times as I have. But I will also say, and I don't say this in a puffed-uppedness way, and I, yes, I did make that word up, and I will, and I'm allowed to because I'm a consultant, and we do, that's what we do. We make up words, and then we charge you more money. I say that all the time. Make that a little humor to it. But I, you know, I'm going to make up the word puffed-uppedness, okay? And, and I don't say that. I don't say this out of that. You know, there's no puffed-uppedness ness in me at all okay believe me <laughs> okay but i will say that it's been a fantastic blessing in my own personal walk to see at this exceedingly late hour and oh boy is it a late hour wow um uh so many of the things that i i guessed about you can say that perhaps i hypothesized about them. I theorized about them. I read scriptures in the Bible and then I wrote articles. For example, the multi-phased rescue mission article that I wrote in regard to Luke 12, 35, 36, and 37 about the first watch, second watch, third watch, 
barley harvest, wheat harvest, grape harvest, three raptures. It's only been within the last year and a half or so that people have actually, Christians, have started to embrace this. There have been teachings on it. There have been people, Christians, writing books about it. So here we are, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years past the point that I wrote that article, and there are wonderful, blessed confirmations coming directly from the throne room, uh, going into the hearts and minds of other believers. And I think that's wonderful. I don't, you know, I believe me, I'm not sitting here beating my chest going, ha ha, told you so. It's not like that. The Lord has brought me through a journey for whatever. I'm not saying pro, con, maybe, should have, would have, could have, none of that stuff. There's no hypothesis. There's no theories. I have no belief systems. I have no, I have nothing, nothing. I think nothing. I am utterly neutral in my thoughts. And I mean that with all of my heart. When I share these things, it isn't to make a point. It's not to suggest that I have some sort of a special gift, because I can tell you straight up right now, I don't. As a matter of fact, I will I will say this out front. When I'm on the phone with a believer and they say, the Holy Spirit told me, or I get a text message from a believer and they say, the Holy Spirit this, the Holy Spirit that, I actually cringe. When I hear that, because in my, you know, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the age of nine at a little tiny converted hardware store that was run by Pastor Luke Weaver and his wife, Edna, who were both converted Mennonites. And they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit in speaking in tongues. They had to leave the Mennonite community because they don't believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So they were ostracized. And then they went on through the leading of the Lord, and however it happened, I don't know the whole story, they started Grace Chapel in a converted, it was an empty strip mall hardware store. It was empty. Now, where they came up with the necessary donations to buy the pews, to get the organ, they, yes, they did. They actually had a real honest-to-goodness organ. Organ music. And, um, you know, I went there for many, many years. It was an amazing experience. I mean, when you read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about how the church is supposed to behave, where Paul is admonishing the church of Corinth and saying that, you know, y'all need to control yourselves. Don't, all, don't y'all be out there speaking in tongues all at the same time. That's what he was trying to explain to them, because they were unruly. Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 14, 15, but a lot in 15, but 14 as well, you see Paul explaining, here's the order of the church. This is what you do to keep order. Okay, And he said, you know, one of the things he said was people can speak in tongues out loud, but there needs to be somebody there to interpret, you know, with the gift of the uh, gift of interpretation of tongues. So when you understand what the key, the nine primary gifts of the Holy Spirit are, which are mentioned in First Corinthians, I think, chapter twelve, thirteen, right in in that range. Go ahead and read them. There's nine of them. 
Now, there are some other gifts that are mentioned. Some of them are mentioned in Romans and a couple, a couple of other places. They kind of, the Bible kind of alludes to gift, you know, associated with being a pastor and a teacher and all that other stuff. And that, But really, the primary gifts of the Holy Spirit are enumerated in 1 Corinthians chapter, I believe it's 12. I don't have my Bible study program up right now, so I'm a naughty boy. But anyway, um, I'm bringing it up right now so that, and I'm look, watching my time. So I'm 20 minutes after the hour, so I want to watch my time because I really don't want to blow the whole prayer vigil away on this. But First uh, Corinthians, let's go ahead and do 12. Yeah, concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I don't want you to be ignorant. You know, it goes on, it carried around dumb idols. Like, okay, then it goes in verse 4, it says, in, in chapter 12, 1 Corinthians 12, it says, There are diversities of gifts, but they're of the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but of the same Lord, our Lord Jesus, right? There are diversities of activities, but it's the same God who works in all. And then it goes, but the manifestations of the Spirit are given to each one for the profit of all. Okay, so make a note of that. Remember, the manifestations of the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for ultimately the profit of all. Okay, now, I will admit that there is some, you know, when it says of all, um, it does have those words italicized, which means they don't actually exist in the Greek. All right. Then in verse 8, it says, for to one is given the word of wisdom. Now, this is where a lot of churches make mistakes, including the Pentecostals, who I happen to love very, very much. And I think they're one of the best church varieties, if you will, that are out there. And then you have the non-denominationals, and that's a mixed bag. It used to be in the 70s, the non-denominational churches, which were part of the, what was referred to as the charismatic movement. And if you listen to the testimony of the Illuminati man, John Todd, before he was thrown in jail, et cetera, et cetera, he explained that he was part of the 13 Illuminati count, the 13th Illuminati Council out of Atlanta, and he took, you know, suitcases full of millions of dollars and gave them to the full gospel businessmen's association and they controlled they, they created according to him they created the charismatic movement but i can tell you as a fact that that's a perfect testimony to explain to the believer how our heavenly father will rip out of the hands of the devil something that was intended for the devil for the purpose of the devil and he will grab it out of the devil's hands and he will say uh uh, uh and he will turn it around for the good of the body of Christ will turn out to be an amazing revival. <clears throat> so most people who don't understand things would listen to John Todd's testimony and say, oh my goodness, the Full Gospel Businessmen's Association is corrupt and they're Illuminati, they're Satan worshipers, and the entire charismatic movement was of the devil. Well, I'm here to tell you. I'm a product of the charismatic movement. And Grace Chapel was a recipient of the charismatic movement. They were neither Pentecostal. They were not, they were not Assembly of God. They weren't anything. They affiliated themselves with nobody but the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you could easily say, based upon the timing of the establishment of that particular church, that they were part of the charismatic movement. 
which, of course, if you listen to John Todd, was of the devil and sponsored and paid for by the Illuminati. Okay, so again, we have to be, unfortunately, we as Christians, we as sheep, we might be, as that one comedian says, super sheep, if we understand the power that we have through Jesus. But we're gullible. And I don't know if you've ever watched the videos on YouTube about sheep, but they do some of the most stupid stuff any animal could ever be caught doing on film. I I have seen films, literally, of sheep in the United Kingdom running along a ditch. You know, they'd they'd dig a drainage ditch, and the drainage ditch, ditch would only be about maybe three and a half feet across. And it would be a steep, deep ditch, and it'd be right along the side of the road. And the sheep would be running along, and it would just fall into the drainage ditch, and it'd be stuck. Well, then the farmer would have to come out, the sheep herder or whoever, I don't know what they call them in the UK, but anyway, whoever owned the sheep or was managing the sheep would have to come out, and they would go through an awful lot of trouble to get that big, fat sheep out of the ditch. Because it was stuck. And so they would do what all they had to do and get the hoist and whatever. And they would work very hard to get that big fat sheep out of that ditch. And they put the big fat sheep right beside the ditch and say, you're free. You're free. And the sheep would run three or four steps and go right back into the ditch. I've seen this with my own eyes. Uh, and that's just one example of probably hundreds that I could give you. And the if you do get an opportunity to listen to the comedy special that's out on the Internet, I forget the name of the guy. It might be entirely – the whole thing may be for free on YouTube. I don't know. But the title of the comedy special is Super Sheep. And what's interesting is the guy that actually does it was born on a farm. And they had – now, they had other sheep, but there was one particular sheep named Herman. And he tells stories about his experiences with Herman and how unbelievably stupid Herman was. In fact, he would play games as a kid with Herman. Herman would sneak Herman would sneak around the one side of the barn. He would sneak around the other side of the barn, and he would sneak up on Herman and go boo. And Herman would literally fall over and almost like be dead on the ground. He would be so traumatized by the word boo. And he tells that it's such a funny, funny comedy skit. But he goes on to explain that we, through Jesus Christ, after he makes you laugh really hard about the sheep stories, that we, through Jesus Christ, are, yes, we're sheep. He he even goes off and he says, you know, why did Jesus have to call us sheep? He could have called, he goes, if I I would rather that Jesus would call us the lion, you know, or something like that. You know, give us a nickname, but not sheep. And he said, you know, he goes, what, you know, college football team would want to have a mascot that's a sheep, you know? And it's true. Can you imagine, you know, the Chicago sheep coming on the field, man, running on the field to do their football game? 
and the whole stadium laughing at him? Well, that's essentially, really, when you think about it, the analogy that Jesus used to describe us. Because we as Christians, sadly, <laughs> we may be, some of us may be super sheep, but a lot of us aren't. And I praise God. So again, uh, to close out on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the nine major gifts, I'll call them. But the manifestation of the Spirit, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, is given to each one, each one. See, very few people pay attention to the words in the Scripture. They just don't. They just don't. I don't understand why, but they don't. Given to each one, so it's talking to a single individual, for the profit of all, okay? And then it goes on. Now, hold on a second now. Don't, don't draw conclusions yet. For to one person is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. To another person, the word of knowledge through the same Spirit. To another person, the uh, faith. By the same Spirit. So you got the gift of wisdom. You got the gift of faith. You got the gift of a word of knowledge. These are all separate gifts. But it's saying to another one, another individual. A lot of people will just walk around and go, oh, well, we all have all nine gifts of the Holy Spirit at all times. And they will just, God will just make them made manifest at the moment of time that we need them. So we're always walking around with this portfolio of gifts. It's not what my Bible says. But that's what a lot of people think. Now, could it be true that our Heavenly Father, through the Holy Spirit, would make manifest any one of the nine primary gifts which, again, include um, a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, the Holy Spirit gift of faith, the Holy Spirit gift of healing, the Holy Spirit gift of miracles, the Holy Spirit gift of prophecy, the Holy Spirit gift of discerning of spirits, the Holy Spirit gift of tongues, and the Holy Spirit gift of interpretation, interpretation of tongues. Okay. Now, how the Pentecostals can come up with this idea that if you do not manifest speaking in tongues, you did not receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But that they stand on that as their mantra. Okay? No speaking in tongues. You didn't receive the Holy Spirit. You didn't receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to get into all this. I don't, it's, this isn't about picking on one denomination. We've got 33,000 different denominations out there. And quite frankly, folks, it's 2023, and they are all hosed. They are messed up. Thank you, Jesus. That's why I praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, that I have no interest whatsoever. My sister can't talk to me without saying to me, Johnny, you need to go join a church. You need to go join a church because you need to make friends, and you need to make friends so they can come to your house and they can watch your dogs when you have to travel. And all of a sudden, I'm like, and I've been down that road. And I'm, I'm not saying I won't try again, but looking at the clock, looking at where we are, looking at World War III being moments from starting, 
seeing what's happening over in the Middle East, which is all scriptural. I mean, we're literally living the Olivet Discourse. I've said this before, but I've never seen it so far. I mean, if you were to lay the Olivet Discourse on a timeline, it's almost like you can see the timeline like a thermometer moving across. I mean, we're not totally there yet, but oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. Now, what I wanted to share with you is why are some of us getting kicked? Why are some of us going through hell right now? And I should, I should be careful. I need to temper my words a little bit. So forgive me, Father. We're not going through hell. It may feel like in our sense of the word, you know, in our little world, in our lives that we've had so far, that growing up with kids, doing the things that we, you know, all that stuff, all the things that we've experienced, our prior jobs, you know, our 30s and our 40s and when we got married and when we had our kids and then we had our grandkids and then we went to this church and we went to that and all this other stuff. When we look at our lives, we might, or maybe not, but we might look at our lives now and maybe we're over the hump. Maybe we've gone through some really bad stuff and we're over the hump and we're in a pretty good place right right at the moment. Now, I would submit that most people that I know that I perceive to be in a really good place have some deep-rooted concerns and issues in their lives that they just don't openly talk about. They're dealing with them between them and the Lord, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I know a group of people that their helps for this ministry, okay? They they um, do things. They help me, okay? I am live and I sound great. Thank you, Justin. God bless you, brother, because, uh, you know, our, you're it. <laughs> you're it, brother. Thank you. God bless you. Um, I have people that help me because I'm just some fat guy with a Hawaiian shirt in Tampa, Florida, okay, you know, in what I call the Golden JIB Studios, which is a play on, you know, uh, the Golden EIB Studios, you know, of Rush Limbaugh. I call them Jesus in Broadcasting. I even got myself a bogus little sign made up at buildasign.com. It was cheap. It's like 20 bucks. They <laughs> hung it up on the door. My whole office is decorated in stuff like, you know, Area 51, you know, do not cross this line or be shot on sight. And, you know, it's just the way it is. Very decorative, very full of, you know, end times things. Um, that's just my nature. So uh, if you were to come and visit me in the Golden JIB studios, you would be very busy looking at all the things around you, artwork and all kinds of stuff. Now, is that relevant? No, it's not. Let's get back on track. All right. Now, why are some of us, a bunch of us, a bunch of us, maybe not everybody, but a bunch of us going through some really bad 
things right now. Why? You know, when I go through really bad things, I, knowing the scripture the way that I do, I'm not saying, please, don't take this as me thinking that I've cut the bull by the horns, because I don't think like that. God has brought me. You know, you can listen to radio shows. I played one on Wednesday night with Zen Garcia that was over 10 years old, from 2012, I believe. And let me tell you something. I was a different Christian back then. A lot of the things that I believed in 2012, the, th- the my Christian walk, how I felt about things, my level of humility, was it wasn't where it needed to be. I really needed God to kick my butt down Main Street real bad. But I sounded humble and contrite and everything. You listen to me and a lot of people, you know, and they'd be like, wow, this guy, boy, father, thank you for every drink of water. Thank you for every, you know why I prayed like that back then? And I should still, we should still. I prayed like that back then because I literally believed we were going to leave the earth any second. Now, should we still pray like that? Should we thank our Father for every drink of water? Should we bless every bite of food? Oh, boy, oh, boy, should we? Boy, oh, boy. Do I forget a lot? Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, I do. I do. I think a lot of us do. Oh, when we're sitting at a table in a restaurant with a handful of people around looking at us, we'll hold hands and pray. But a lot of times I think, you know, when when we're busy and we're doing chores around the house or whatever, we'll open up the refrigerator and stuff a piece of cheese and some meat in our mouth and keep on walking and going and not even think, not even stop to say thank you, Lord. We'll grab a nice frosty cold, uh, you know, uh, Zephyr Hills water out of the refrigerator and just start chugging down on it and never really Take a second look. Never think a thing. We shouldn't do that. We should be asking Father, our Father, to bless everything, to thank Him for every drink of water, to thank Him for every bite of food, to bless everything that enters our body, especially now, graphene oxide, nanoparticles, strange critters. Now I'm seeing an endless stream of warnings about insects in our food. Tyson Meats got taken over by Satan, and they, all of their subsidiaries, are putting, actively putting insects into our food already. There's graphene oxide being shot out of black chemtrails into our air. They are dumping graphene oxide into our water supply through the tap water. There are bottled waters, a bunch of them, that are evil. Smart water is one of them. It's got a lot of graphene oxide in it. Without that blessing from our Father in the days that we live in right now, when you're sticking stuff in your mouth, I don't even want to think about it. And I'm guilty. I get so busy with life and work. I mean, it's insane. It really is. 
and we forget. We grab that piece of cheese. We grab that piece of meat. We've got a vacuum in the right hand. We've got something. You've got a phone in the left hand. We're talking to our kids. We're making arrangements for the holidays. We're, you know, we got Aunt Sally calling up, and all this stuff is going on, and our, our heads are spinning around, and there's reports coming in that World War III is about to kick off. You've got your Aunt Matilda calling you up and going, isn't it wonderful that that uh, that, that Israel is slaughtering everybody in Gaza? And, you know, and, and all the, and your head is like spinning around and around and around and, you know. And there you are with your cheese and your mead and your Zephyr Hills water and all this other stuff. That's, it's hard to remember. It's hard to stop. It's hard to thank the Lord. It's hard to ask for that blessing for everything that goes into our temple bodies. We're supposed to present our bodies holy and acceptable as our spiritual service of worship to our Father. It's kind of hard to do when you jam it full of poisons and bugs. And I know, I know, we can all say, well, golly gee, why are we still here on this earth? You know, that, that thought has crossed my mind more than I would like to admit. Honestly, and I know uh, baby Christians, I will call them baby Christians, but maybe they're teenager Christians. They will say things like, well, the Lord needs us here now more than ever before, because who's going to help the other Christians understand what's going on? Let me tell you something, folks. I ain't even going to bother going down that road because they'll just throw tomatoes at you if they're not throwing rocks and they'll try to beat the heck out of you. If you don't even talk, I, the one subject I will not talk about ever is Israel. Because you've got people out there that hold on to one verse in the entire Bible, in Genesis 13, where you got the Abrahamic blessings where it says, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And they grab a hold of that, they point to the entire country of the United States of America, and they say, we are blessed because we support Israel. Yep. It's just that simple, you see. And they're dancing in the streets. They don't give a dag nabbit about the Al-Shahib hospital and the fact that Israel could not present not one single shred of evidence that there was any Hamas tunnels or fortifications underneath that hospital, and they killed a lot of people. Now, I am not picking on anybody here. I am simply saying what I said on Stephen Ben Noon's uh, Israeli News Live program is that this is an end times setup. There isn't going to be some sort of mysterious missile coming out of where, whoever'sville and slamming into the Al-Aqsa Mosque so, that, so the Hasidim can go and build some temple for the Antichrist. It's not going to happen. And you know what? If it does, I will, in tears, repent before the Lord, and I will wait upon him to tell me if I need to continue or stop, because I may just shut down at that point. Because I believe that Pastor Carl, uh, um, oh, dag nabbit, I can't think of his last name, but I believe he's absolutely right. 
that it is all about the temple body. There is no evidence in the New Testament whatsoever about the establishment. There are a lot of Christians out there. I, I spent, see, my whole, imagine receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the gift of speaking in tongues at the age of nine. Nine. Having your mother at the age of ten set you down in a tiny little kitchen in 39 Runyon Road, Hummelstown, Pennsylvania, 17036. I can even tell you what the phone number was. 5662973, area code 717. And I sat my butt down. My mom told me, sit down, son. I got something to tell you. She shared with me. My mom did not. She wasn't in the office of a prophet. She hardly ever had anything supernatural happen to her. And the two times that she did, my sisters were 20 years older than me, grown up and had their children already. So they were all, they were dealing with life and they were out doing what they had to do to survive. And I was still living at home with my mom. And she sat me down and she told me, Johnny, the Lord showed me the Antichrist. He is a mulatto man, half black, half white. And he is your age, or approximately, and he's alive on the earth today. Well, I don't know about you, but if you know anything about 1972, the very use of the word mulatto was kind of frowned upon a little bit, because back then, mixed marriages were not okay. They were not okay. Now, don't get me wrong. It didn't mean that black people didn't go to the Pentecostal churches and things like that, but there was a lot. It was just not socially widely accepted as it is today. Now, it was, you know, I'm not going to get into geography in the United Kingdom and all the different countries and how they, but in the United States of Babylon at the time in 1972, it just wasn't okay. And anybody who was alive in this country at that time knows I'm right. So the very fact that my mother told me that the Antichrist was a mulatto man was, it was, it was, it was, it was, uh, Utterly remarkable. Praise God. And I see the time now. It's 45 in. But I wanted to share that with you. And then the other thing, and it wasn't until, it wasn't until like well into the year 2000, you know, right around about 2005 when Jonathan Kleck, who him and I became really good friends. I went and stayed at his house for a week. He came to my house for a week. We shared information together. I have photographs of the entire thing. I showed him stuff. He flipped out. We went to, I mean, it was an amazing experience. I'm not joking. It was an amazing experience. Him and I used to talk to each other every day almost on the phone. We drifted apart after some time, which is not abnormal, especially when you live like 10 states apart or whatever, or six or seven states apart. It's just what happens. His life changed, things happened to him, and we drifted. And that's fine. It doesn't mean that if he called me right now, I wouldn't answer the phone or vice versa. I, it, and and does, do any two Christians completely agree on 100% of everything? No. Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. What does that mean? I, I brought this up on, on another program. I, I'm like... 
the Bible doesn't tell us, which, by the way, is segueing interestingly well into what I wanted to share with you. The other thing is that my mother told me was that she had a dream. It was very vivid. These were not both on the same day, by the way. They were spread, I don't, who knows how far apart. Johnny, sit down again. Sit down. I got to tell you something. I, got, I, I had a dream, and it was about you, and it came from the Lord, and I don't understand it. It was kind of like that whole Joseph thing. It needed to be interpreted, and, you know, Daniel and all that kind of, you know. And um, she wrote it all down, gave it to a guy, uh, a pastor, uh, and uh, Gerald Durstein of Gerald Durstein Ministries, and I don't even think he's alive anymore. I doubt it. I'm almost 100, 150% sure he would not be, given the, how old he was at the time. But his main ministry headquarters was in Florida. I was living in Pennsylvania. To me, Florida was something that I would think about in the middle of the winter when, you know, like um, Beach Boys songs would come on. Because, you know, that, that's what the local stations would do to people who lived in Pennsylvania in the middle of the snowy winter, is they would play Beach Boy songs, <laughs> okay, so that all the kids would sit around wishing that they could, you know, go to Aruba, Jamaica, dun, 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 that, you know, that whole thing. So my perception of Florida was like a wonderland of wonderful things. And now I've been here for 37 years, and it's just a bunch of crocodiles and, or, you know, not crocodiles, crocodiles, alligators. But anyway, I just don't, you know, after a while when you grow up and you become a big boy, <laughs> okay, you start looking at your door and saying, boy, I sure wish I could see a fresh, early October snow. I'll take a November snow. Last year when I went up to Pennsylvania, it snowed hard one day, and I even went out back of my sister's house, and I made a little bitty snowman. It was a little one. It fit in the palm of your hand, but it was a snowman. Found the twig and gave it little arms and, you know, whatever. It's kind of cute. But, yes, I play in the snow. I make snow angels and things like that. All right. So anyway, I like this. I used to like to ski. I can't do any of those things down here. It's like a trap. It's like I'm trapped in a hot, lizard-filled, super high air conditioning cost. I mean, it's just like, and there's no good place. There's no good place. No place is perfect. Every every place is under attack right now. All geographies are under attack right now. Everybody's going through messy stuff right now. Which, but she, when she got the interpretation back from Gerald Durstein, Gerald Durstein told my mother, you need to sit down with your son because this is about him. And so she sat me down and she said, Johnny, here's the interpretation of the dream. You are going to grow up and become a well-known end times preacher. And you are going to be unmarried. Three failed marriages later... <laughs> <laughs> I'm unmarried. <laughs> okay, but anyway, hey, that's a long story, but I'm not going to get it. But anyway, and of course, when I did push God to change his mind on that, cut me a break, he taught me a lesson. So basically, from 2016 forward, it's just been one beating from the Lord after another. And you might be like, well, Johnny, what do you mean one beating from the Lord after another? I mean exactly what I'm saying. One beating 
after another. We had a guest on the program about 10 years ago. I forget his name. I could look it up. If you go to YouTube.com and you search on Tribulation Now Radio Show, one word, and you hit enter, you'll find all the old programs going all the way back to the very, very beginning. So anyway, um, so from 2016 forward was a combination of chastening, refiner's fire, lessons learned, all kinds of things. I mean, it's been one beating after another. And um, yes, I understand that we're supposed to examine ourselves. I've preached uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1 Corinthians 11:20 oh let me think it's true yep 11:28:31 and 32 that's a classic case where preaching in context you lose the meaning you have to take the eat of the bread and drink of the wine in an unholy holy manner out in order to understand what the intent of the teaching is, because it's not contextually driven. Paul warns us that the people in the church are sick, they're weak, and they're dead because they fail to judge themselves. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But because we fail to judge ourselves, we are chastened by God. That's 31 and 32. Now, I understand these things. I understand the difference between chastening. I understand the difference between refiner's fire. I get it. So I'm always examining myself. Well, I thought, you know, when I left my last job, it happened very supernaturally, and I gave that testimony. So I have been befuddled. Why, oh, why? And I'm watching the time, but this is important because I know a lot of people out there that need to hear this. I mean, capital N, capital E, capital E, capital D, need to hear this. I needed the Lord to help me with it. And, oh, by the way, if I give anybody the impression that I've somehow figured anything out, that I'm, oh, it's the answer, and everything's hunky-dory now, then you have clearly misunderstood the message. Because the opposite is true. Okay, now, all that being said, yes, I went through a supernatural occurrence associated with me taking this new job. I have to say this with the greatest of care. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for my job. I want to thank you profusely for my job. But as you know, I hate it. <laughs> okay? But you know what? That's our walk in Christ. Our walk in Christ is a paradox. Now, I've never had to work so hard in my life it's pushing me like somebody 20 years younger than me. And uh, there's a lot of corporate structural problems, internal problems, far, far more than were at my last gig. However, my last gig was in the process of reorganizing the way they did business. And they were 
in the midst of changing from a really cool model that everybody loved and liked working for. And they were changing it into what everybody would hate to work for. And I already have seen some of my friends, since I've left, get kicked into the street, which I knew was going to happen. How many? I don't know. But I've seen the names appear out there looking for jobs. This is not to say one thing or another. I'm just sharing the data. Now, um, oh, man, okay. So anyway, um, so I think to myself, so, Lord, what's up with that? Why in the world would you supernaturally present to me this new job? And it's, and I'm just going to use this word, it sucks balloot worse than you can ever possibly imagine. I dread waking up and going to work. Now, can I adjust my attitude? Arguably, yes. I have books about cognitive behavioral therapy. I have the Christian book written by Dale Carnegie, How to Stop Worrying, worrying and Start Living. I am a big fan of self-help, especially if it's a Christian author with, with scriptures backing it like the Dale Carnegie book, How to Stop Worrying and How to Start Living. Fabulous. It's not a matter of bad stinking thinking. Okay, I'll steal that from Andrew Womack. It's not a matter of stinking thinking on my part. It's a matter of a brutal workforce environment that has a lot of flaws that are very noteworthy. I mean, they're serious flaws. And um, and there's nothing that can be done about it unless the partners who run the company change their model completely. They have to rethink things, and they're not. I can tell you they're not. So that means the, mo- the, the, the inherent flaw, the root cause inherent flaw in the business model which has evidently made them a lot of money, is going to stay. So the cancer is not going to get cut out. It's going to stay. And that cancer is going to come back, and it's going to bite me like a rabid pit bull every single time. And I'm going to be in a constant state of CYA, covering myself, ducking the meteors, running from this problem and that problem, because people there don't understand how to do work properly. They are some of the most immature consultants I have ever met in my life. But there's a lot of good people there, and a lot of them are very smart. But I've also met a couple that have recently started working there, that, and we've had frank, friendly, close conversations together, and they feel exactly the same as I do. They're like, what did I do to my life? And they're very, very deeply concerned, as they ought be, as they ought to be. Now, I'm looking at it from a godly perspective right now, because I've got to deal with age discrimination. I've got to deal with an incredibly bad economy, the beginning of World War III. What do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Do I do anything? 
What's the right thing to do? What's the wrong thing to do? Am I hearing from the Lord right? The Holy Spirit told me, you know, if you want to go listen to people tell you all about what the Holy Spirit told them, go ahead. Go to your, go to your charismatic or non-denominational or Pentecostal or Assembly of God church and listen to everybody talking about how the Holy Spirit told them and then pay close attention to what they're saying because you're going to discover quickly that the Holy Spirit told them all something different. Which means the Holy Spirit didn't tell them deadly. So part of my new training gift from the Lord is keeping my mouth shut, which is why I love this microphone. Praise God, because it allows me to it's like a, um, it's like a steam. Remember, like now we have those like instant pots. I love my instant pot. I got an instant pot pro. It's wonderful. And if it broke tonight, I'd buy another tomorrow. But I remember my mother's pressure cooker, you know, from the 70s. She loved that thing. And you always knew when she was using it, because the entire house would fill up with this sound. So for any of you out there that are as old as me and had a mom that used to like to can, oh, my mom liked to can jellies and tomato sauces and get ready for that. She was getting ready for the great tribulation, my mom. <laughs> she convinced my dad to buy a seven-acre farm. Of course, we could only plant about maybe two and a half acres of it because the rest of it was on an incline going down a hill. When we had to prepare the chickens for eating, we had to tie the feet together, and those buggers would hop, and they would hop all the way down the hill. Yeah. Then you'd have to go chase them. Yeah. And can you imagine a 45-gallon trash can with a contractor bag in it, completely filled to the top with chicken heads. <laughs> and I was the lucky one who got to cut them all off. Oh, to be Amish. Praise God. So anyway, why am I sharing this? And then we're going to get right back to the prayer vigil. I'm sharing this to help you out, if I can. And it might not, but if I can, I want to. Because the whole reason I did this, the whole reason I set up the website in 2009 was I discovered what the evil people, the Illuminati, all these evil entities were doing. I didn't even know about reptilians back then. You know, I mean, the dead giveaway about Israel and, the, and what's going on in the Middle East right now is that you've got a nine-foot-tall Draco reptilian named Hillary Clinton from the Rodham family, which is one of the most satanic, blood-drinking, baby-killing families that have ever existed. Second only to the Bushes. Ugh. 
And I had one of my uh, church elders from the local uh, non-denominational, quote, spirit-filled church. Even though the whole time I was there for four years, I think I heard somebody speak in tongues maybe once. But oh well. We live in different sad times now, don't we? We sure do. Why are you suffering? Why? We're all different. Each one of our suffering packages, that's what I'll call them, suffering packages are unique. We made just for us. Now, God's going to take your circumstances. God's going to take your bad, ungodly decisions. And he's going to use them. Now, but at the end of the day, wherever it is you are in your walk, and again, I don't want you to take me wrong here. I'm raising my hand. I'm raising my hand so high that I make Arnold Horshack and Welcome Back Cotter look tame. Mr. Cotter! Now, my, the Lord knows my weaknesses. He knows my situation. He knows my mistakes. He knows my house. He knows what I feel is comfortable. He knows what I would like to do on a Saturday. He knows me. He knows the way I would like my job to be. He knows the way he knows all that stuff. So what's our heavenly father going to use to I'm going to use the word condition me. I'm going to use the word to condition me. To condition me. Fiery, fiery trials that are to try you as if something strange has happened to you. But rejoice! Okay, Let's, let me get this straight, Lord. So there's an Iranian soldier slowly cutting my leg off with a drywall knife that hasn't been sharpened ever, and he's cutting it off real slow, and you want me to rejoice? Let me get this straight. I'm trying to work with you here, Lord. Help me out. <clears throat> So, here's the secret sauce, <laughs> okay? Okay, because I could drag this on all night, and I don't want to. And I, you probably don't want me to. But for those of you who are going through some really icky, yucky, horrible, awful, awful times, and I, I could start rolling names right off my tongue, a lot of people going through really bad things. One of them told me just the other day that she would have essentially frequent nervous breakdowns where she would fall to the ground and just start bawling, heaving, crying tears. Her situation is rather dire, actually. 
There's another, there's another one who doesn't disclose all the details of their situation, but she's going through some pretty bad stuff too. I mean, the list goes on and on. I mean, you wouldn't believe it's bad stuff. Now, there are a few of them that are going through some bad things that are especially bad to them. And I ask myself when they tell me what they're going through, I wonder, I don't know, gee whiz, that doesn't sound all that bad to me. But you know what? I'm not that person. We are to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. So I eat humble pie. I would love to trade my life, my problems, with any one of a a bunch of people that have told me what they're going through. But you know what? I'm not them. And if I was them, I might not feel the same way. If I was them, I might be in a really, really crummy, bad way. I might be a wreck, an emotionally destroyed, distraught puddle of tears. Why me? How can this be happening? Mess. Here's the secret sauce. I'm not claiming the Holy Spirit gave this to me. So that's my opening point. I'll start with that disclaimer. But I am going to share with you, I love how Terry Hill puts it, what was impressed upon my heart. Whether it was Johnny's flesh that impressed it, my intellectual capacity that impressed it, which we would say is a subset of my flesh, my understanding of the scripture, my analytical uh psychoses, okay, my clinical uh, analytical psychosis. I don't know. I don't know. But it occurred to me, something hit me. And I started to let people, I know what I, what hit me, the people that were suffering in their own puddles of misery. Take another day of this. Can't take another day of this. I've had conversations with one person that explained to me that they just can't they can't take it anymore. They can't take another day. They cannot there's I I I'm like, can you please tell me what it is so I know how to pray? What is it that's got you you know? People Anyway, so here it is to share with you. It occurred to me, again, I'm going to ricochet, I'm going to boomerang back to Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul's thorn in the flesh, okay? So I'm going to just share this with you, and it's worth, I think it'll be worth your time, because if you're not getting hit hard by some really horrible stuff, you better buckle up, because you're, you're going to want it. You're going to want to be getting hit hard. I'm going to, because I'm going to tell you why. All right. <clears throat> so here, let me go ahead and Paul's thorn in the flesh. There it is. Because I, for some dumb reason, I just cannot commit it to memory. <clears throat> Second Corinthians. No, that's not it. 
Oh, yeah, it is. It's 2 Corinthians 12, not 1 Corinthians 12. 1 Corinthians 12 is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 12 is Paul's thorn in the flesh. Come on. There it is. It's 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, oh, I've, I've actually heard, listened to preachers and teachers in churches. And I think to myself, going back in time, what were they doing in front of a pulpit? I've heard the most incredibly ridiculous things said about Paul's thorn in the flesh story. Oh, well, he had some sort of a problem with his eyes, and scales fell from his eyes. And then one, and then somebody else would say, yeah, he was a lizard creature, uh, and all the Pauline epistles need to be ripped out of the Bible and thrown into the, you know, that's a false doctrine. And so they want to rip out one-third of the New Testament because they don't understand. I think there's a lot of people baking in hellfire right now over that stuff. I feel sorry for them, but what can you do? Can't save the world. That's Jesus' job. All right. So anyway, it says in verse 7, Paul tells you straight up precisely why he's going. he's got that thorn. And lest... So I'm going to read this to you, and we're going to analyze it together. And if it takes me another 20 minutes, then so be it. Hallelujah. Because this is really important. And lest, because it's, it's ministering to me. I'm alone in a room in the upper part of a house in Tampa, Florida, okay, doing this program. And I have no idea if there's even a single person out there listening. I don't even know. I got no idea. I'm just sitting here talking into my mic. And that's fine. And it's ministering to me. It helps me. And I figure if it helps me, it probably helps somebody else. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't. But it says, Paul says, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Now let's stop. What is he really saying here? And I have taught on this before. I have discussed this before. I don't like the term teacher because James eloquently said, I would not want for many of you to become teachers because don't you know that we receive a stricter judgment? And I'm like thinking to myself, oh, great. Of all the things I don't need to hear is that. Oh. Like I said, folks, I'll be happy to just get there at this point. I'm, I still want to be all that I can be, but, you know, anyway. But Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. So basically what Paul's saying here is he's got a proclivity toward pride. Exalted above measure on account of the abundance of his revelations. In other words, he has had, had so many things happen to him. He has heard so many things from the Lord. He's had so many experiences in Christ. He has walked all over Asia Minor. He got into a fight with Barnabas and had a sharp disagreement. I would love to have been a fly on the wall for that one. I wanted, I'd love to know what the Bible means by a sharp disagreement. I wonder if he was like chasing Barnabas down the road saying, I'm going to kick your butt into Asia Minor. But you know what? You don't get that information from the Bible. I think there was a lot of drama that occurred in these Bible stories that we just don't get. We don't get it. It's just not given to us. 
But people are people. So anyway, unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of, of the revelation. So basically he tells us why. Right there. That his life, his life's experiences, both as a sinner and, as, you know, because you've you got to roll them all together because they, they tell a big, long story. And then it starts to level off a little bit, like at 2016 when the Lord started my chastenings and my beatings, which I'm sure I have plenty more to endure. But my point is this. Paul goes on to say, I was given a thorn in the flesh. It was given to me a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to kick my butt. That's what he means. You've got to imagine the word buffet. Like somebody's practicing boxing, and they got one of those little boxing bags hanging from the wall, and they got boxing gloves on, and they're going. That's what buffeting is. So Paul was given a special messenger of Satan to beat him up over and over again. And he said, lest I be exalted above measure. So he repeats it. Lest I have pride. Lest I think that I'm somebody special because of all the things that I've gone through. The road to Aramaeus and that giant flying saucer that shined a brilliant light down upon him as he heard the words from Jesus and went blind. Okay, maybe it wasn't a giant flying saucer. But then maybe it was. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. What about the ascension of Jesus? What's up with these bright lights coming down out of the sky? always wonder about that. And yes, I understand maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was. I know that Stephen actually saw a dimensional rift. Okay. I know that, I, I don't know if it's in Chronicles or Kings or whatever, it says that the Lord God bows or bows the heavens, which, by the way, is how you travel at faster than light speed. That's what warp speed is. They call it warp speed. Thank you, uh, you know, Gene Roddenberry in the first series of Star Trek. It was called warp speed because they warped, bent, bowed time space. Thank you, Jesus. And when you bow it, you can get from here to Andromeda in moments. Because you're not traveling on a linear scale. You're not heading in a straight line. You warped time-space. That's why they called it warp speed. Well, anyway, all these things, by the way, from a physics standpoint, are realities today. All these things the physicists already realize are real, and they're going after them. But it's, it's too late. It's too late. It's too late. Just look at what's happening around the world. But my point is this. Yes, when you're in a flesh body, you need to have an umbrella when it rains. 
So there's men angels and there's spiritual angels. There's men angels and then there's spiritual angels. You, you know, it says in the book of Hebrews, be careful who you entertain because you might unwittingly entertain an angel. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm not going to unwittingly sit down and have scrambled eggs with the angel that showed up in front of Daniel that scared him so bad he threw himself on his stomach screaming in fear. Face like barrel and eyes like lightning. Scared them half to death. That was not a man angel, an angel in a human body. The problem is we just don't have the reasoning skills we need to be able to analyze the scripture properly. We're stuck in our tiny little thimble minds. And then we look at scripture and we don't see the obvious. And it's awful. It's sad. I feel cheated. I do. I really do. But that's okay. I get to hear my sisters talk about all the things that are wonderfully happening in the Middle East right now. Yay! Wait until they see what happens. Wait until they see what the Bible says is going to happen. Happen. Aren't they going to be surprised? Wait. They're, boy, they're exciting. They're jumping for joy. They're hallelujahing all the way down to wise markets <laughs> to buy their frozen turkey for Thanksgiving. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They cannot wait for Donald Trump to come back and save the day and Israel to wipe out Hamas and take back all their territory and everything's going to be fine because you know what? None of the Bible matters anymore. It's just what we believe because we have that one verse in Genesis 13. It says, if you bless Israel, you're going to be blessed. And the whole United States of America and all the churches in the United States of America, no matter how much sin they have, no matter how much sex they're having in their church, no matter how many homosexual transvestites children being maimed and tortured and everything else under the sun that they're doing and they're teaching and they're preaching and once saved always saved live from the devil and all the things that have been going on in churchianity for the last lord jesus knows how many years no none of that matters you see because of that one verse in the bible So all the prophetic end times verses don't matter. All the admonishment from our Heavenly Father, all the warnings to the church, they don't matter because of that one verse in Genesis 13, that Abrahamic blessing. That, just, that's, that is the American church's get-out-of-jail-free card. So they're not even seeing that we're coming up on the revealing of the Antichrist. They're focusing on this victory that they're perceiving. And that is a scary and awful, awful sad thing. Now listen, I am not. I, have, I, I am a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. My citizenship is in heaven. Colossians 3, 2 says that I am to keep my mind stayed on things above and not on things of this world. I am not to form an allegiance toward anybody. I do understand that Hosea 2, 19 through 20 says, I will betroth thee. I know all of the prophecies. There's like 10 of them, but 
there's three or four of them that are really obvious about Israel being reestablished, the dry bones, all that kind of stuff. It's all going to happen. The problem is it's not going to happen until after the rapture of the church. It's not going to happen until down the road a ways. Don't even get me going on the Noahide laws and all the creepy, horrible things that are going to happen. The Babylonian Talmud, which is what the majority of the Jews that are not Jews, the Khazarians. There's a lot of bad, 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 really bad stuff that's going to happen at the hands of the Jews that are not Jews, at the George Soros's, at the Zelensky's hands, I believe at Netanyahu's hands. I do believe that he is a Jew that is not a Jew. I do believe that. That's just my personal opinion. And if I'm wrong, Father, forgive me. But that is, at this time, unless the Lord persuades me otherwise, I believe that he's one of them. Because of what he's doing. He's spearheading. He's leading. He's, the, he's leading the charge. He's taking the end times and making it turn into World War III. He's leading the charge so that Babylon the Great, who's being cheered on by a nine-foot-tall Draco reptilian named Hillary Clinton, and Trudeau, who's some kind of a transvestite homosexual who has affairs with Klaus Schwab, for crying out loud. We're dealing with a very dark situation, and we've got to look at the players. We've got to look at who they are. We've got to look at the ones who are voting and saying, go! Go for it. Go for it. Go for it. Let's go ahead and wipe out Iran. Let's start World War III for all the right reasons, because there's 87.1% enrichment at the Ford Al facility. We have the prophecies. We know what's going to happen. We know what the Bible says. We know that World War III is coming. It is now. It is right now. Could it take a couple of years? Probably not. So why are you suffering? Did it ever occur to you that if God did not, you know, God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. I'm not going to talk to you about the five, five to eight people that I've been having conversations with that are suffering horribly. I'll talk to you about me. The Lord has put me in a situation that I dislike on a level that I cannot articulate. Oh, I could use colloquialisms and say on a scale of 1 to 10, I dislike it 25. All that stuff. I could. Or I could have a good attitude and say, you know, there's a lot of people in a lot of bad situations out there, and I want, I'm not going to look a gift horse in the mouth. If i got to work a little harder, a lot more hours, sweat a lot, little bit more, worry about my job, a little, you know. But wait a minute. There it is. There's the key word. Wow. The answer. My thorn in the flesh. God is turning up all of our thorns. Now, if he's not turning up your thorn, I'm not saying one thing or the other. Maybe you've already gone through everything you need. See, God sees the future. God knows. Our Heavenly Father knows whether or not he needs to turn the volume up on you. And all it takes 
is a millisecond. You might think you're at a good place in your walk right now. Everything may not be perfect. All your kids may not be where you would like them to be, perhaps. I don't know. I can tell you that in my life, I have very little that is where I'd like it to be. I do see forward motion for some that I've been praying for for years, which is very good. Thank you, Jesus. And I also believe that the Lord is going to continue a mighty work in many people that will not make the barley harvest. But right now, our Heavenly Father, I believe, I could be wrong, I could be wrong, but I believe each one of our thorns in the flesh that our Heavenly Father is taking one of those bigger thorns and he's pushing it deeper into our flesh and he's twisting it so it really, really hurts. And you're going, that sounds like a mean God. Why would you describe our Heavenly Father like that? You're Shame on you, Brother Johnny Baptist, how dare you? Our Heavenly Father loves us. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm going to give you an example of love, of parental love. Parental love, an example of proper parental love, is when your little three-year-old child goes running across the room and reaches up to put their hands on that stove burner that's red hot and bubbling hot chili is on the stove and your three-year-old is literally within eight inches of putting their hands directly on that red hot burner. And a proper parent is going to fly out of their seat, grab that kid, tackle them down, smack their hands and say, don't you ever do that again. And your little kid's going to go, <laughs> that is good parenting. Oh, how dare you, Johnny? I dare because exactly what the Bible says. Spare the rod, spoil the child. As a matter of fact, if you go back far enough into the Old Testament, they used to take their kids out in the street and stone them to death. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace. But all that stuff is eroded and gone away in a tidal wave of Satanism, transvestitism, cutting off genitals doing horrible, awful, unspeakable, evil things. And it's becoming like normal. And everybody seems to be like shrugging their shoulders. They got all their eyes over at the, on the Al-Aqsa mask because, oh my goodness, we need to have a red heifer cut. The head has to be chopped off before Jesus can come. All this stuff has to happen. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And they're all going to be, their mouths are going to be so blown wide open when things don't go the way they think they ought. The way their pastors told them they ought to be. The way that they were taught in their Bible studies as they grew up. Well, every, all eyes on Israel. Israel's the end times thermometer. If Israel doesn't do this, Jesus can't come. This is what I was told. This is what I was taught. It's wrong teaching. But I will say this. When you look at the Olivet Discourse, Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, when you look at the Revelation chapter 6, 
Third seal, global financial collapse. Fourth seal, behold a pale horse, quarter of the earth. is going to face death, quarter of the earth. We're seeing it happen now. It's the West. Canada, United States, uh, New Zealand, Australia. All those are the countries that are going to suffer. They're all going down. They're going down, 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 down. They're going to be thrown into FEMA camps. I had somebody email me. They were like, Johnny, I need, I need to let you know, you know, uh, th- this particular believer uh, was shown which states have FEMA camps, and you can be taken away and put into a FEMA camp. And God bless you. I thank you for thinking of me. I do, and I told you so. But you know what? I could care less. Throw me in a stinking FEMA camp. Go ahead. Here's the thing. I shouldn't be alive right now. I already know it. I should not be alive. What I talk about on Tribulation Now is verboten. I could could not do Tribulation Now on YouTube. They would shut me down immediately. (laughs) My job. I've had so many supernatural, amazing, Jesus-filled events occur to me. They, They actually happened to me. I experience them. I should be dead. I should be dead. Already dead. I am a living, talking miracle of the Lord Jesus Christ. The last thing I give a dagnabbit about is whether or not there's a FEMA camp being built down the street from my house. It doesn't matter to me. And you might say, but why? Because I don't run. I have no place to run to. Why would I? Jesus and the angels of God protect me. The holy fire of God protects me. Warrior angels that that will cut into pieces the principalities and the thrones, they dare not mess with me in Jesus' name. I will mess with them. For greater things than these will we do. Because our King Jesus has gone unto the Father. John 14, 12, 13, and 14. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That is who we are. I am not, I don't need a stun gun. I don't need a big knife. I don't need some way to defend myself. I've got the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Game over. So, why are we suffering? Because we're getting ready to go. There's your answer. I know I went about it the long way, and that's okay. And it took way longer than I thought, but that's also okay. Because this is one of the most important messages I had maybe ever given, ever. Ask yourself this question about 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 through 10. Because it goes on to say, Paul goes on to say, he pleaded concerning this thing, this messenger of Satan that was given to buffet me, that, that lest I should be exalted above measure and develop any pride in my life. He says, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord. (laughs) See, we, we have a hard time reading our scripture and visualizing what actually happened. Don't we? 
Oh, Paul would never behave like that, would he? I'm sure Peter was just jiffy-pop, popcorn-happy-go-lucky when they were putting him on a cross upside down. I bet he was thinking, just sitting there going, she'll be coming around a mountain when she comes. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. There's power in the blood. Power in the blood. I can see Peter right now while they're putting him on the cross upside down and nailing him to it. If we are able to take that kind of persecution and do it with grace, grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, not throwing a fit, not screaming, not shaking our hands, not waving a sword or some kind of a weapon at them, not threatening them. If we're able to pull that off, that's a miracle. That is a miracle. Now, what does it mean when it says that Paul pleaded with the Lord? It says he pleaded with the Lord three times. But it doesn't tell you. Did he do it all on Tuesday night at 7? At 7 o'clock, Paul went over in the corner and he hid under a bush and he said, Lord, please get rid of this, this demon that's buffeting me. I can't take it anymore. And then he waits a little bit. 1, 1,000, 2, 1,000, 3, 1,000, 4, 1,000. Lord, please, please get rid of this demon that's buffeting me. I can't take it anymore. One, one thousand, two, one thousand, three, one thousand. Lord, please. Do you think it all happened on a Tuesday night between 7 and 7.30? How do you think it went down? How do you think Paul pleaded? Dear Heavenly Father, I would like to request that you, um, Lord, uh, would you kindly remove that dastardly demon? Because it's affecting my ability to, I don't know, go through the daily, you know, misery of having to walk in my torn-up sandals. I haven't had a shower in days. Lord, could you please get rid of the darn demon? What did he do? What was Paul? He pleaded three times. How, how long was that spread apart? Was it over a month? Did he plead once a month? Did he plead once a week? How long did he plead? How hard was he pleading? Why did he use the word plead? How bad was he pleading? Were tears gushing out of his eyes? Was he on his on the ground and his knees, you know, putting in sackcloth and ashes, you know, what, how, what does that mean? He pleaded. Please, Father. And his answer was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Then Paul goes on, noble as he tried. You know, he went through. He already went through the pleading. He already went through all the ugly. He knows that he's stuck with the doggone messenger from Satan. He's stuck with it. Stuck with it. He knows it. So 
Now, in his letter, he's able to take that lesson that he learned after he pleaded and cried in misery trying to get rid of it. And, and his, on his only answer was, my grace is sufficient for you and my, my strength is made perfect in weakness. And then, and then he says, he rounds it all off and he says, therefore, most gladly. See, this is his conclusion after he went through all that. How long did all that last? How hard was he bawling before God begged? him to get rid of that demon that was buffeting him. We don't know, do we? All we know is his conclusion. He writes it, he pens it, and he says, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I'll give you an example of boasting in my infirmities. I was told by my boss that if I upset one of the customers, if I don't make the deadline, if one of the deliverables that I create or whatever upsets the the salesperson that's in charge of that multi-bazillion dollar company that I will be fired. There's some infirmities for you. So I don't have any, I don't even have the illusion. You know, it's, it's kind of nice to have an illusion of job security, even though we don't. We don't. All the states in the United States of Babylon are right-to-work states, and they can walk up to you and snap their finger and say, hey, man, thanks for showing up and everything, uh, but no severance, no nothing, no warning, no nothing, you're fired. You just go home and, no, don't do that. It's the day, it's the day before Christmas. I mean, really, we all just like – we we got to go, like, watch the Scrooge, right? Because that's really what – that's the reality of, of the way things are. Uh, oh, no, uh, I, I'm going to lose my house. My children won't have any place. Do you know how many people are homeless right now in this country? People that were gainfully employed? Entire families are living out of their cars. They're making six digits. Easy. There's even parking lots that are being built so that they have places to park their cars so they can sleep in them. And I can think of reasons why I'm not happy. And here's why I can tell you that I can boast in my infirmities like Paul, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in needs. I take pleasure in persecutions when people treat me poopily. Yes, I made up a new word. It's called poopily. It's just the way it is. Crummily. Like a broken balut. Therefore, you know, there it is. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, let's translate this over to our day today. Why are you going through crummy stuff? Why is God taking that thorn and pushing on it and twisting it and putting you in a situation that you're like, oh, Lord, please, in the name of Jesus, God, help me, please. Don't make me go through another week of this, please. I need to sleep. I need to sleep. Please, Father, please. Guess what? Let me ask you a question about Paul. Given all that I've just shared. If this thorn in the flesh was not given to Paul, is there even the teeniest, weeniest little possibility that maybe Paul 
after all that he did for the Lord, after all the suffering, after all the souls that he saved, after the people that he raised from the dead, is there the teeniest, weeniest little possibility that he would not be living in the city of God? The, where the, the location of the heavenly Jerusalem in Mount Zion, Hebrews 12, 22, in, an, in the company of an innumerable company of angels with just men made perfect. Did God give Paul that thorn, push it into his body and twist it until he cried out loud, begging God to take it away? And God did it because he was making absolutely sure that Paul was going to live right there with a terrace facing the throne room of God, that God and the angels had already created Paul's living mansion, humongous and glorious, right there before the throne room of the living God, the Most High, our awesome Father. And our Heavenly Father knew, because he's a just God, he is holy, holy, holy. Three holies. You better watch your P's and Q's, because when God is holy, 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 that's very holy. The analogy that I've used in the past, and it still stays, it still remains true, is that the laws of all the universes were established at the creation of the universe. And yes, Lucifer was there. Until he fell. That's why the Masons and all the evil ones call him the great architect of the universe. He was there. He's the master at partial lies. And partial lies are still lies. Holy, holy, holy means that our Heavenly Father, who is the Most High, El Elyon, the God of Gods, Yahweh El, the judge of all. That he follows even his own roles. So your analogy for understanding that is if you, let's pretend you had your father, your own real dad here on earth. And let's pretend that you got along really good with him. And he was a circuit court judge, a federal circuit court judge. And you got into an altercation. It was a road rage situation, and this big, giant, burly beast of a hairy man came toward you with a baseball bat. And you pulled out your Walter PPK, which you had registered legally, and you shot that big, hairy beast of a man, and he dropped over and died. And then you find yourself sitting in front of your own father, a federal circuit court 
judge who has got to decide whether or not he's going to put his own son in prison for the rest of his life. Now, I know that that's not a perfect analogy because in in an appropriate court of law, the federal court judge would have to recuse himself and step away because it was his son and there would be a conflict of interest. But nowadays, the way the court systems work, there are no – you can have as many conflicts of interest as you want with as crooked and evil as the world has become. But let's just play this out. If the judge did not have to recurse himself, you know what I'm saying? What would a holy, righteous, proper, holy, holy, holy judge do? He would properly judge his son according to the law and the minimum sentencing guidelines, and he would put his own son in prison for life. Now, would he go home that night in front of his wife over chicken dinner or whatever and cry? Would he go off into his library and have a couple of stiff scotches, pouting, having his whole family reject him because he had to put Bobby in jail? That's what holy, holy Holy means, and that's how holy our Father is. So when he took that thorn, my analogy, and pushed it into the flesh of Paul and twisted it until he cried out, Oh, God! Our Father did it because he was looking at Paul's eternity. Something that you can't do, for yourself, something that I can't do for myself, something that none of us can do for ourselves. Only our Father can. And you know what? It's all about trusting God. I will sleep well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying I'm not going to have stress. I can tell you that I'm definitely highly motivated okay, to get this, these documents done. I can tell you that, you know, there's, I have, I do, I care, carry with me a grave amount of concern throughout the day. There is no kicking back for me, but you know what? I have no choice but to trust God. I have to. And you know what? When you really think about it, I don't have any reason not to. And it's a darn shame that I failed this test so badly. I had no reason to be upset. I had no reason to go back to God and plead and cry because I got, you know, treated unfairly. Instead, I have a smile on my face. You know why? Because I realized, no, I'm not going to say because the Holy Spirit came down upon me. 
and I'm like lit up and all of the hairs on my arms are standing up and oh, the Holy Spirit has just overwhelmed me. And all of a sudden I've had this godly epiphany and I know why I have such an incredibly impossible, difficult, unfair job situation. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, when God takes that thorn and pushes it into your flesh and twists it really hard and you are beyond, you, you can't take it anymore. You can't take it anymore. What a blessing. For the first time in 61, and this March will be 62 years, if we make it that long. For the first time in my walk, I'm looking at my situation, my job. Oh boy, I spent a lot of time sitting there thinking, you know, I need to get, I need to get another one. This isn't going to work out. That forget this noise. But anyway, and I thought to myself, you know, when it, when 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 I had my impression fall upon me, whether it was from my own intellect, my own thinking, my own whatever, review of the scripture, reconsideration of the thorn in the flesh story, I thought to myself, wait a minute. And it seems to be intensifying. I'm getting reports from people out there that are telling me it's getting worse. Their situation isn't getting better with prayer. It's actually getting worse. Not worse with prayer. Do not misunderstand me. What I'm saying is their situation is getting noticeably worse, even with the prayer. Minus the prayer, <laughs> I don't even want to think about it. But when, but now I kind of think that thorn's being shoved so deep into our flesh and so utterly agonizingly painful because God, our Father, loves us. Our Father knows that we don't want to be, that we would love to be considered as part of the bride of Jesus. That we would love to be considered to be part of the first watch. That we would love to be adorned as a bride in the New Jerusalem during the new millennium to be able to stay in our transformed body inside this enormous spaceship, which is what it is. Like it or lump it. <laughs> there ain't going to be a single person on the face of the earth that doesn't say that gigantic cube-shaped object coming down out of the sky, the size of the country of the United States, is anything but a gigantic bejeweled version of the Borg arriving. Okay, But you know what? It takes somebody with my vivid, wacky imagination to face the reality and not sit there like some preacher at a pulpit misquoting the Bible, misinterpreting things, telling people wrongful stuff. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you, folks, the people on the earth are going to point up at the New Jerusalem and say, what is that thing? They're not going to go, oh, goody, 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 gumdrops. It's Jesus coming in the New Jerusalem, and the bride is inside there. I wonder if I'm going to get a tour. They're not going to be saying that. 
when that thorn is pushed into your flesh, when you are having the worst day ever, and it's getting worse, and the next day's worse, and then the next day's even worse, and you're like, you go, and then, you, but you practice, you, you practice what you preach, you practice what you believe, you practice what the scripture says, you believe it, you want to believe it, you get up, you do your positive affirmations. I literally, when I wake up in the morning, and I am not exaggerating, my feet hit the ground, my hands go straight up in the air, and out loud I say, thank you, Father, praise you, Lord. Thank you for a wonderful day. Thank you, Father, for a beautiful day. Thank you for helping me to get to this project done. Thank you, Lord. Help me to be stronger. Help me to eat right. Help me to do what I need to do to keep my energy up. Father, I pray, please, Lord, help me to do the things that I need to be able to do. Do you think I like to have my physiological condition be decimated as it was so badly on Wednesday that I had to play a best of show, albeit a really good one? Don't get me wrong. A lot of people were very blessed by it. But the thing was, I was destroyed. There was no way. And my promise to the Lord and myself is that I will no longer take the microphone ever when I'm having a really... If I'm devastated, if I'm absolutely exhausted, if I have had a horrible day, I'm not getting behind the mic. Because what happens is kind, loving Christian brothers and sisters out there that listen to this program will write me emails and letters that I respond to always. And they will be very concerned. One one particular night, I had people writing me, Johnny, boy, you sounded terrible. Wow, what was the matter? Are you, you know, oh my goodness. Well, you know, what's fascinating is I had another believer that I was talking to on the phone before the show started. And that believer wanted to stay on speakerphone while I did the radio show. And I read to her some of the emails that I received, and she said, you didn't sound like that at all. But different people perceive different things. Different people hear different things. I'm not going to mention any names, but there was one individual that I talked to almost every single day, and he took things really, really hard. People are on at a break point right now. The thorns in their flesh are in very, very deep, and God is pushing them in hard, and they hurt, and they are miserable, they are broken, and they can't take it anymore. And we've all got to come to a place somehow, and it ain't going to be easy, where we let go, and we let God Let go. Let God. Let go and let God be God. If you would just trust him, I'm talking to myself now. If you would just trust him. John, talking to myself. Hello, John. Hey, John. If you would just trust your Heavenly Father and stop being such a whining, crying crybaby, if you would just trust your Father, 
Look at all he's done for you so far. Stop bellyaching. Live in day-tight compartments. Don't worry about tomorrow. Take every day, one at a time. Deal with the pain. Deal with the long hours. Deal with the threats. Deal with the awful, thoughtless, evil things that people say that you have to unfortunately hear. I will tell you, today, one of my special moments was when my current client, one of the individuals who had a leadership position there, requested a 17-day early delivery of the document that I am working on that is like going to be easily 120 pages in length. Wanted it 17 days early. <laughs> that is so myopic, so mean, so evil. It had to come from Satan himself. It had to. It had to come from Satan himself. Do you think it hit the mark? Sure did. <laughs> it sure did. It sure did. But you know what? Fact is, I'm the only one that can do this report. If I died tonight, which would be a blessing. Thank you, Jesus. But of course, you know, I'm not going to be holding my breath. <sighs> Because Jesus, the Lord would make sure I'd end up in the hospital for a while, and he'd twist that thorn even deeper. But one way or the other, the Lord is going to make sure that you make the bride. He's going to twist that thorn so hard. And you're either going to give up, and then you don't deserve it, and just like it says in Psalm 51, where it says, uh, here, I'll read it to you. It's like a mystery. I love mysteries. Praise God. Johnny, when are you going to do a regular prayer vigil? You said you were going to stop a long time ago. Oh, well. Not going to blame it on the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Maybe I'll blame it on my long-windedness. But look, it says right here, in verse 4, Psalm 51, Against you, King David says, Against you, Father, you only I have sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Woo. Now, if that ain't some deep stuff, I don't know what is. That's deep. So anyway, we all got to buck up and realize, see, I am one of those people with an analytical mind, and I want to know why. I want to know why. 
I want to understand the scripture. I want to understand it inside. I want to understand it outside. I want to understand it explicitly. I want to understand the implications. I want to understand it from Jesus' viewpoint. I want to understand it from Satan's viewpoint. I want to understand it from the demon's viewpoint. I want to understand it from the angel's viewpoint. I want to understand it from everybody's viewpoint. I want to get everything that I can possibly get out of the scripture no matter what. I don't want to be left. I don't. I can't stand it. I cannot stand having to go through a bunch of ugly and not be able to reason my way through it. Oh, I could fall on my knees and say, Father, please, in the name of Jesus. If anyone seeks wisdom, let them ask God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it shall be given them. Oh, Lord, I'm, I'm claiming that promise in James 1, uh, 5, and I pray, Father, please give me the wisdom. Give me this wisdom, I pray in the name of Jesus. Father, help me to understand this. And then I can walk around like all the people in the church and go, the Holy Spirit told me. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God. The Lord is going to let me know what I need to know when I need to know it. Eventually, but probably not until he's pushed the thorn in pretty deep. <laughs> okay? And if you've got a thorn pushed in pretty deep and it's hurting real bad and you can't take it anymore, and you can't stand even the idea of closing your eyes at night because you got to wake up the next morning, then welcome to my world. But remember, if our father hadn't pushed that thorn into Paul's flesh, where would he have been? Remember that Solomon apostatized and turned against our Father. After all that, whoa! But our Heavenly Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, pushed that thorn deep into Paul's flesh and twisted it and said, Tough bananas! Deal! Paul sitting up there in heaven right now in one of the most amazing, probably the most amazing place in all the universes, minus the throne room. Do you think he's glad he had the thorn? Do you think we'll be glad we have a thorn? I think so. I really, really do. So before you get discouraged, dismayed, ready to throw it in, you can't take it anymore, fall on your knees and bawl and cry, you know, shake your fist when, you know, oh, you know, at God and blame him and all this stuff. Remember that your father loves you and he sees you running for that hot stove, your little his little child, oh, sons of God, children of the living God, running like a sheep for that hot burner to raise your hand up and burn your hand off and permanently maim yourself for all of eternity. And your father loves you, and so he's going to take that thorn, shove it in there, and twist it. Why? Because he wants you on your knees. 
He wants you to wake up in the morning and set aside extra time. He wants to hear your praise. He wants you to be so close to him that you cannot get the nanometer away. He wants praise. He wants you to thank him for every drink of water. Thank him and bless everything that you put in your mouth. Thank him and praise him and worship him and be closer to him than you have ever, ever, ever been before. And let me tell you something. If he pushes that thorn in hard enough, you're going to be right where he wants you to be. And if that results in you becoming part of the bride of Jesus Christ, part of the first watch, part of the barley harvest, do you think when you're in heaven, you're going to say, darn, I wish I had a better job than the one the Lord gave me. Or do you think you're going to say, be in gushing, tear-filled, ecstasy-laden, overwhelming, just like it says. And now to him who is able to do exceeding... No, 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 got the wrong scripture. I want the one in Jude, Jude 23 where G, or 4, where, where the Lord says, uh, and now to him who is able, Lord Jesus, to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless before the presence of God's glory with exceeding joy. How much joy is that? Do you want to have exceeding joy in all of eternity? Exceeding joy. How much joy is exceeding joy? Psalm 5.3 My voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you, and I will look up. Psalm 27.4 One thing I have desired of the Lord that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion, in the secret place of his tabernacle. He shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. Praise God. Tonight is Friday, November the 17th. The time now is 9, 10 p.m. on the east coast of the United States of Babylon the Great. And together, tonight, you light the Sabbath candles, or if you want to call them the Shabbat candles, or if you want to have... Sabbath on every single day or you don't ever want to have the Sabbath you don't have to hallelujah Romans it's all there in the scripture it's what Romans 14 is all about praise Jesus hallelujah thank you father uh, and I like to light three candles I say this all the time one for the father son and the Holy Spirit praise you Jesus and tonight we share together the Hebrew Kaddish and no this is not me singing Although I could kind of fake it if I wanted to. Baruch Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Peri Hagaten I can't do it. 
Praise Baruchat Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Kitshanu B'mitzvotav V'eratzavanu V'shabat Kodsho V'avav Ratzon Himhelanu Zikaron Lemase V'reshit Ki hu yom techila lemikrae kodesh zechelitziat mitraim ki vanu vacharta veotanu ki dashta Mikohamim Vishabhat Kodshecha Be'ava Uvratzon Himchaltanu Baruch Adonai Mekadesh Arise, my love, my beautiful companion, and run with me to the higher place. For now is the time to arise and come away with me. Now. For you are my dove, hidden in the split-open rock. It was I who took you and hid you up high in the secret stairway of the sky. Let me see your radiant face and hear your sweet voice. How beautiful your eyes are in worship, and lovely your voices in prayer. You must catch those troubling foxes, those sly little sins, foxes, that hinder our relationship. For they raid our budding vineyard of love to ruin what I've planted within you. Oh, won't you catch them? Remove them for me. We will do it together. Slander will you 
shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Psalm one nine I'm sorry, one Psalm nineteen thirteen. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and save such as have a contrite spirit. You think when the thorn gets twisted and it hurts real bad that you might have a broken heart? If I had a choice between no thorn and God being really close to me, I'll take the thorn. Psalm thirty-four, eighteen. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, our Lord Jesus, who will transform our lowly body. Boy, you can say that again. Getting lowlier by the minute. That it may be conformed to his glorious light body. Hallelujah. According to the working by which he is 
able even to subdue all things to himself. Principalities, powers, spiritual hosts of wickedness, rulers of darkness and high blazes, thrones, ugh, filthy, filthy things. Enjoy prosperity while well, you can. But when hard times strike, realize that both come from God. Ecclesiastes seven fourteen. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Hey, I wonder if that includes the thorn. Psalm one thirty nine sixteen. Ephesians two ten. For we are Jesus's workmanship, or our fathers, created in Christ for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Luke 10, verse 19. Hallelujah. And then, Ephesians 3:20. Now to him, our Lord Jesus, who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us. Our power through Christ. Hallelujah. It's Jesus' power that works. We funnel the power through us. We're just con- whoops, we're just conduits. I slapped the microphone. Ow. Hey, somebody stop that thing from vibrating. It's got these springs here that suspend it. Annoying noises. Praise you, Jesus. Dear Heavenly Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus. And the entity of the darkness, worker of Satan, live or dead human spirit, member of a witch coven, anything that cannot call Jesus Christ its Lord and Savior, that at the moment that it sets its will against us, it shall be immediately struck by the holy fire of God. Zechariah 2.5, in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. We declare the holy fire of God, a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit, and a thorny hedge of protection to swirl around about us on all sides, Job 1.9, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father, and we decree and plead, Father God, for eight-foot-tall mean warrior angels to stand guard at our dwelling places. And, Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for a platoon of warrior angels, Delta Force angels, Father God, in the name of Jesus Christ, to ferret out out all indirect attempts to, to come against us, to shut down all demonic portals, in the name of Jesus, to make good eyes blind, good ears deaf, in the name of Jesus Christ, to thwart all attempts of the enemy to come against us through our loved ones, through any other threat vectors in our life in the name of Jesus we come against it we declare the fire of God to surround us we declare the warrior angels to surround us in Jesus name we declare the fire to extinguish all fiery darts we declare the holy fire of God to vaporize all earthly and spiritual weapons and to punish the demons of darkness that were behind it in the first place we decree in Jesus name that all demonic agreements and all demonic assignments be Vaporized by the fire of God, we call it down from the heavens, and we declare it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.
Now, let's just go ahead and enjoy communion. And also, let me see, it's Friday. So we have Terry Hill this Sunday night, which is awesome. I have to go shopping for Thanksgiving food. Do you know this is, this might be our last Thanksgiving? I say that every year. I really do. But this is the first year that I really, really, really think so. I really, really think so. Golly, I'll tell you, if if there's any chance at all, any, any chance at all, that this is a false alarm after all that we've seen happen on the earth. Two carrier task forces, strike forces, in fact. Ships full of Marines. Conscription for thousands of of, uh, soldiers on reserve. Paperwork in Congress to conscript females for the first time in history. A signed resolution by both the Senate and the House to bomb Iran. The entire Muslim population of the world angry, angry as can be, and wanting to destroy Israel. And scriptures of the Bible that support it, that state it all. Warnings that say when you see Jerusalem surrounded by her enemies, get out of town. Doesn't mean that God isn't going to restore Israel. He will. But some really, really apocalyptic stuff is going to happen first. Hmm. I just realized a my air conditioning guy told me to readjust the vents. And I did. And now the air blows out my candles. Can't have that. (laughs) Ah, for goodness sakes. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, Father, we just praise you. We thank you, Father. We come, you know, the scripture says, and you know this, Father, but I just love, I love your word. And it says, when two or more on earth are gathered together and agree together on something, that you're going to give it to us. And we're going to believe it because it's from you. And Jesus, you are the word. You are the lover of our soul. John 15, 16, 17, 18, it says, I'm just looking here. No, wait a minute. Oh, no. Okay, that's not what I was looking for. Never mind. All right, one more thing before we take communion. Let's see. Okay. Given the situation that we're in right now, I mean globally and biblically speaking, let's lift up the people of the Middle East. All of them. For God so loved the world that he gave Jesus to us. 
even though Jesus said, Father, if it is at all possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. He gave us Jesus. Yes, there are lots of prophecies that make it very clear that Israel is coming back strong. God is going to make Israel his wife. Chuck Misler used to say, Israel is God's wife. And those of us in Christ, neither man nor woman, Jew nor Gentile, free or slave, we are one in Christ. Galatians, something, something, forget. It's all in Revelation. a lot of stuff that can happen in a few years. Look at all that's happened in the last three earth years now. Look at all that might be and likely will happen in the next couple of years. And ask yourself, are we even going to be here for it? Are we? I'm glad I have a thorn. And I'm glad it hurts real bad. And I'm pretty sure that we're all going to be glad. A lot sooner than we think. Dear Heavenly Father, we hold up symbolically before you a golden cup of forgiveness. And we pray, Father, as a royal priesthood, 1 Peter 2.9, that you would pour out this golden ball of forgiveness upon all of the peoples of the lands of the Middle East. Father, we know at this time, running rampant is a lot of evil, a lot of lies, a lot of deception, a lot of darkness, a lot of misconceptions. Father, the situation on this earth, as you know, is as gruesome and as it could possibly be. I can't even imagine it being worse. But you know what, Lord? If there were nuclear bombs going off in different parts of the world right now, it would be far worse. That's true. Dear Heavenly Father, we hold up a golden bowl symbolically before you and we pray, please, that you would pour it out. Pour out a bowl of forgiveness upon all the peoples of the lands of the Middle East, upon the peoples of Israel, upon the peoples of the Sudan, upon the peoples of Egypt, Morocco, upon the peoples of the Jordan, upon the peoples of Oman and Yemen, upon the people of Gaza, and in their incredible suffering. Father God, we pray for the people of, 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 of Turkey with a two million man army that can stomp over the top of Israel and make it into a big old dust bowl in a matter of moments. Even with 
the aircraft carriers that are there. They can be literally blown out of the water by the Kinzhal missiles that are on the bottom of the jets that the Russians have flying over the Red Sea right now that fly so fast that they will hit the center of the carriers, lift them out of the water, and drop both sides of the carrier back into the water with all 5,000 men being dead. Father God, we know that these days of darkness are upon us. We know what your scripture says, and we give you all the glory. For at midnight we will rise to give thanks to you because of your righteous judgments. Psalm 116, verse 15. And Father God, one of our favorite scriptures of all, because it helps us to understand how awesome your judgments actually are. Isaiah 29, verse 6b, it says, When your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Father, we pray that you will pour out a golden bowl of forgiveness upon all of the peoples of the lands of the Middle East, upon the good and the bad, upon the parents and the children, upon the, all of the people, Father, all of them. For we do not pretend to be able to read the DNA of the people who live there. We do not know who the Ashkenazis are. We do not know who the Khazarians are. We do not know who's, who's who. We do not even know about all of the um, righteous Jews that are, you know, at least not righteous in Christ, but, you know, across the world in all the different countries. We don't know about who they are. We can't read their DNA. It's none of our business. It's yours, Father. And Father, we love you. We thank you for bringing us to where we are in our walk. It's imperfect. But we pray together on the earth in one accord. Please, Lord Jesus, count us worthy to escape all these things that are about to come upon the earth. Looks like pretty much any second now. And be invited to the wedding supper. And while we're asking, Jesus, if it is at all possible, should we not just be guests? We would like to be part of the wedding party and get married. Very much. Very much so. Father, we pray that you will forgive all the peoples in the lands of the Middle East. Father, forgive them. We have seen the atrocities. We have heard the lies. We will not fall for the deception of churchianity. We give you all the glory. We see your prophecies being fulfilled. We thank you, Lord. Pour out that bowl of forgiveness upon all of their hearts in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do any more than we do. We are all sinners. Maybe some more or less. We pray that you will forgive them, Father, in Jesus' name. All of them. In the name of Jesus, we part the spiritual realm as the Red Sea for safe passage for heaven's angels, heaven's resources, and heaven's power to move freely upon the lands of the Middle East. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Father is a royal priesthood. 
We confess of their sins before you, Father. We confess of the sins of their first fathers and their fathers' fathers until before there was time. We break all yokes of bondage. We renounce all things spoken of in the darkness against them. We break all generational and bloodline curses throughout every branch of their family trees until before there was time. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Praise you, Father. Principalities, powers, and strongholds, spiritual hosts of wickedness and rulers of darkness in high places above the lands of the Middle East, we come against you. In Jesus' name, we decree fire swords of cherubim to be shot down from the heavens and to cut you into pieces. We declare fire of God to launch down from the glory pillar and to burn you into screaming agony in the name of Jesus Christ. And then we do declare hundreds of trillions of legions of warrior angels and archangels to follow to wage war against you, demons of darkness, you Filthy, filthy principalities and powers. Wage war against them such as never has been seen since before there was time. Unclean spirits, deaf and dumb spirits, anything that cannot call Jesus Christ its Lord and Savior, binding or hindering the hearts and the minds of the lost across all of the lands of the Middle East, through Israel and through all of the Muslim lands in Jesus' name, and even through the ships that are on the sea from Babylon the Great. Father, we pray that you will forgive them, forgive them of their sins. Strong men, come forth. Subordinate spirits, come out now. In the name of Jesus, we decree hundreds of trillions of legions of warrior angels to descend upon you and to strike you deaf, blind, and dumb, place you under arrest, and cast you into the pit. We declare the fire of God to weld the pit shut. We decree the fire of God to permeate the pit and to burn you into screaming agony, and we plead the blood of Jesus to seal the pit. For only the Lamb of God can break the seals. And we declare the holy fire of God, a thorny hedge of protection and a whirlwind of the Holy Spirit to swirl around and make that fire white hot and to encapsulate all of the peoples of the lands of the Middle East, all of the people, the good and the bad. Let nothing unclean re-enter the clean-swept house, even if but for a time. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you, Father. We praise you, Father. We thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We declare the crystal river, the living water, the abundant grace of God to flow freely into their heart, into their mind, into their soul, into their flesh, into their spirit, in the mighty name of Jesus, to fertilize the soil therein, that they shall receive the seeds of these prayers. These prayers will bear fruit, and the fruit will remain in Jesus' name. John 15:16. hallelujah. And we declare an innumerable company of angels of light and love in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father, Lord Jesus, call them by their name please, like you did Samuel. Call them by their name and their native tongue. If they're buried under rubble, send angels to their presence that they can see them. Lord Jesus, reach your hand, please, out to each of them and save their souls. We ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, to send angels of light, love, and glory into their presence, even as they are passing away, when the demons of evil and darkness are reaching out to take them to the pit. We declare and decree 
in Jesus' name and plead with the courts of heaven that the angels would stand in between the demons of darkness, push them away, and take them into the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ to accept the Lord Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We pray, Father God, Job 33, 14, and 15, in accordance with the King James. For, Father, you speak once, yea, twice, but man perceiveth it not, in a dream, in a vision of the night, when deep sleep falls upon men, to save their souls from the pit, and to seal their instruction. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Father, we know what your will is. You would want not one to perish. Your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, we proclaim it as royal priesthood of heaven. Hallelujah. We thank you, Jesus. Hear our prayers, we pray, Father God, and do not delay. For the days of darkness have fallen, and the days of your vengeance are upon us. We give you all the glory from now and forever. We thank you, Father. We praise your name. I give to you that which was given to me, that on the same day in which the Lord Jesus Christ was betrayed, he broke it and gave thanks and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in that same manner, Jesus took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread, and drink of this cup. You proclaim our king's death, our friend's death, the lover of our soul. Our bridegroom. Until he comes to take us to the wedding. In Jesus' name. Ani Ladodi Ladodi Lee. God bless you all. See you next Friday, Lord willing. And oh, by the way, I really mean it. Oh, and enjoy your thorn in the flesh. Remember, it's for a really good reason.
With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.